Everybody, welcome back. This is Inside Fitness Radio presents Total Fitness Podcast. My name is Matthew. Walter. And today we have a very special guest on. This is Mitchell the Moose Hooper, who is uh, a strongman for, uh, you know, a Canadian strongman. He, he represented Canada, placed eighth at World Strongest Man in 2022. Very impressive debut. Uh, he just came back from uh, Giants Live in the UK as well, which I believe you placed second, correct? Second to Alexei Novikov. There you go. Yeah. So very, uh, uh, very, I would guess you could say you're, you're new to the sport, right? But you're, you're already accomplishing quite a bit. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to talk a bit about the strongman. Uh, we're going to talk about, about your training, the mindset, everything that's uh, kind of involved there. So uh, why don't you uh, kind of give us a little bit of backgrounds uh, into, you know, how everything got started with you? Yeah, well, I've done a whole lot of sports for my whole life. From uh, you know, marathon running, bodybuilding, American football, baseball, swimming, volleyball—really, whatever you can name—I'm happy to give it a crack. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's sort of how strongman came about. I uh, happened to join a gym where the guys did powerlifting. I figured I'd, I'd give it a crack. Powerlifting's a little bit boring for me, uh, so I naturally transitioned over to strongman. And really, I fell in love with not really the sport as much as the community and the right. group of people and and the culture. And uh, the sport is really what I love to do. Uh, I, I really love to train. It's it's the type of training I like to do. Uh, but it's the people who have really had me stick around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when officially did you kind of get into competing in Strongman then? We're probably coming up on three years now, somewhere between two and a half and three years. That is crazy. Uh, competition. Yeah, yeah, it's come along really, really quickly. Uh, yeah. And competition experience is even more limited because in Australia – uh, we were locked down for so long, we couldn't leave the country. National competitions were canceled. Uh, so World's Strongest Man was actually my my fifth full competition ever. That is insane. Holy, that is quite impressive. And uh, you kind of broke onto the scene because um, you got some notice for a deadlift you did that was, what, 475 or 65 kilos? Yeah, 475. And to be honest, I think that's the entire reason that I got invited to World's Strongest Man and if, if not for that, it's sort of interesting to reflect. If not for that, I'm not sure I would have pursued strongman professionally. Really? Okay. Interesting. So when was, uh, when was that lift completed? When did you end up hitting that 475? That was early November, 2021. Right. And to give some context, if, if that didn't happen, I probably wouldn't have been invited to World Strongest Man. Mm-hmm. And I was moving from Australia to Canada not long after that. And where I moved back to, there's no strongman gym. There's no strongman community. So say I came back to Canada, I was not invited to any international shows. I'd have no choice, but to go back down to the local level, build it back up, train the events without training the events and, you know, try to try to start a community and uh, with everything else going on, you know, that's, it's funny to reflect. And that's why I say, I'm not sure I'd be in strongman if not for that world's strongest man. But right. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, um, well, now you're on to even bigger things. You're trying to hit the, well, break the world record deadlifts uh, in about four weeks, I believe, right? That's or right. The, yeah, uh, three, and a half, three and a half weeks. Yeah, yeah, and you're trying to hit a 505 kilo deadlifts. And the world record right now is officially 500, I guess, from Eddie Hall and 501 for uh, Thor Bjornsson, correct? So, um, so we want to talk, I guess our first real question to kind of get into things is, what what is the drive here like how 
how does one just wake up one morning and be like, you know what? I want to be the strongest man on earth. I didn't. And I don't. Uh, what I want to do is I want to objectively improve myself in, in one way or another every day. Hmm. So the same drive that, that caused me to want to run marathons faster than I've been able to do them before is the same drive that makes me want to be stronger than I was before. So as much as I'm setting a, a deadlift world record, I'm also just going here to set a personal best and to improve myself in that way. And really to, to gain leverage and a platform to speak about whatever I'd like to speak about. And, and to me, you can impact the world in volumes if you have a, a platform and an audience to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's exactly why we started this podcast was to be able to, you know, have this platform to, to bring guests on or just talk about, you know, what our uh, beliefs in terms of fitness and, you know, promoting that health and uh, fitness style of life, uh, lifestyle. So with you, you have your own, um, you have your, uh, your own businesses where you are building that kind of community where you are trying to help the general population, I guess you could say, um, kind of live healthier and better lives. So why don't you kind of break that down a little bit for us right now? Because I mean, you're a busy man. You're always on the go. Um, we've had to uh, reschedule this a couple of times. So uh, why don't you give us a bit of a uh, backstory about how you started that clinic uh, out in Barrie yeah. in Ontario? Well, I did my undergraduate degree in human kinetics, and I thought that being a strength and conditioning coach would be the dream. You know, working with professional athletes and helping them like, get that 1% edge and, and beat their competition. But I uh, after my undergraduate, I got my dream job, if you will. And I was the head strength and conditioning coach for a pro basketball team. I traveled across Canada with them, uh, you know, stadiums full of people. And um, basically the whole show was mine to run in terms of what they did for their training, their recovery, all of that. And it was really quite ordinary. And the reason being one, the, the guys weren't great. I didn't love to work with them. Mm -hmm. uh, work ethic was kind of all over the place. Two, if, if we're thinking from a perspective of having a, a net positive impact on the world, whether one team wins or another team wins actually has no bearing at all on anything, right? You're going to have one group of fans who's happy, one group of fans who's upset. You might be inspiring some people along the way, but if, if my team didn't win and inspire people, another team would have won and, and inspired other people. So I, I sort of got... Uh, disenchanted with that pretty quickly right and i thought there's something more to life i could make more of an impact and i had to look abroad for some options and one of those options was called exercise physiology um, which is using exercise as medicine to treat and prevent chronic injury condition illness all of that and i thought that was a perfect uh, alignment of values and i went over to australia did my master's in exercise physiology and yeah, the, the intention when I left was to learn it, practice it, bring it back. And four years after I went to Australia, I, I came back and, and I did just that. So there's, there's a bit of a parallel with mm. uh, things in Strongman. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say what I think I'm going to do uh, because I have every intention of going through and doing it. Um, and that's sort of just how I am with my life. And I try not to ever have it be uh, seem arrogant. And it's a, it's a fine balance. I just, I think I'm quite objective in, in what I'm able to do, what other people are able to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I came back, I opened the clinic up. Uh, we're, we're ticking along. There's two of us working in there right now and it's exercising people who have injuries, chronic conditions uh, and, and need a bit of help to get moving with the, the idea being really that 
gyms are built for people like you guys and myself, where we can go in and we know exactly what, what we're going to do. And we're comfortable to exercise beside whoever. And it's not really a big deal. Yeah. And this gym is sort of for people who don't fit that category. Uh, and the idea is to extend health span to match lifespan and get those later years in life productive and useful and enjoyable for people. And that really starts when you're 30, 40, 50, 60, um, mm-hmm. not when you're 70 and 80. <laughs> yeah. Walter could talk to that. <laughs> yeah, but if you, if you start even starting at 60, 70 and 80, it's going to be that much better. I, I think, you know, um, I, I talk a lot about joy span where the health span and the lifespan match each other. Um, and you can just be a happier person um, having ability to move through the world without pain and enjoy yourself. Uh, so this speaks very closely to me. Um, and I'm glad of that. I have to ask though, uh, what, what do you think helped to develop you into this kind of human being that wants to have this kind of, of impact on people? Uh, I think it's rooted in, in um, mental health difficulties uh, that I've had in the past. And, and I wish I could say that I, I don't have them now, uh, but I think I've had to evaluate what I want to do with my life and, and what, what my purpose is here uh, more than the average person for that reason. And I believe it's a blessing and a curse to, to sit there and, you know, have the attitude that if you're not adding to the world, then you don't particularly deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big, big portion it's, of it's, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big portion of why, you know, I, or a lot of my clients, that's typically what, you know, I focus on is the mental health and mindset training, just again, same, same issue with myself, you know, just, uh, that the mental health issues that I've had to deal with and, you know, trying to put out, I guess, a better thought process into the world and instill that, uh, that into my, uh, my clients and instill that through my, my training methods. But when you're, um, when you are dealing with these types of clients, they're obviously not, you know, strongman style. They're not the crazy power lifters. Um, is there, cause you do also have, uh, your, your team of strength athletes. Um, is there one that you enjoy more? Like, do you enjoy the training of strongman more? Do you enjoy the training of just helping people live just a better, healthier lifestyle? Like what is the, uh, the difference in between those two? Well, when I set up the strength team, the idea was I was going to do that until I moved from Australia, then I would drop that and just focus on the clinic Mm -hmm. but when i started to realize the mental health benefits that so many people get from strength training because the majority of people are not athletes who have have had crowds for them before who have had lots of support before oftentimes it's sort of misfits who never really fit into places really well uh, never really had a group of friends and, and this is sort of their solace and once i started to see that pattern develop there was no way that i could give that up right and to say that I enjoy one more than the other would probably be um, inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I think I, I probably get more fulfillment from the clinic side of things. And that's simply because I'm, I'm one-on-one with those people. I get to know them really well. Uh, they get to report back some really meaningful outcomes. Like I, I can play with my grandkids again. I, for the first time, I did a shoulder workout without pain. All that type of stuff is, is really important to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's, that's why I have those things going on it's just there's nothing that i want to give up and yeah. and i really appreciate both of those sets of people and what they bring and the challenges that they bring 
And I probably appreciate the variety as much as I appreciate one more than the other. Uh, but it's funny you say that the people in the clinic aren't strongman style training because strongman is really a good replication of what we do in everyday life. And when you break down fundamental movement patterns, we talk about push, pull, squat, hinge, carry, and overhead pressing. And that's the basis of a strongman competition. Mm-hmm. So whilst you're not carrying an Atlas stone and you're not deadlifting an axle with, with 500 pounds on it, it's sort of the same attitude in a way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I mean, a, a five-year-old kid with an attitude who doesn't want to be moved can feel like an Atlas stone times. <laughs> so if you're, if you're training people to play with their kids and their grandkids, then, then it's a perfect way to train. You're absolutely right. But my question is, is uh, finding everything, building everything, having availability on a regular basis. So in, in your case, where you are, you have everything you need for strongman training. What about the average guy out there? Um, would you recommend anything in particular to get started in this type, type of training? Well, I don't have everything I need. So when, okay. when I went to Worlds in the finals, I had never done uh, a truck pull before. I had never done power stairs before. And I didn't have an apparatus or a setup to do the behind the neck press. So I did it in front of the neck press just because of equipment availability. Mm. And I broke the Australian Atlas Stone record the third time I touched Atlas Stones. So there's really no need. There's no need, in my opinion, to train uh, implements on a yeah on a regular basis uh, oh, yeah. unless you're preparing for a particular competition. A great example is uh, Eddie Williams, who I just competed against mm-hmm. in London at the Strongman Classic. I believe he came fifth on two days' notice, and he hadn't touched half of the implements before. And it actually is a bit of a relief seeing something like that because Eddie, by the way, is not, he didn't come fifth because he's an incredible, I mean, he is an incredible athlete, but he didn't come fifth because he's miles better than the rest of us. And he just didn't have a chance to train the events. And and so he ended up there. That's a pretty good result for him all in all. And Mm -hmm. you can take some comfort in the fact that the strongest guy will win 95% of the time. Right. So if I was giving advice to someone who didn't have access to strongman equipment, I would just, I would just tell them, you know, if you look at a movement pattern that you want to be able to do, replicate that in the gym. If you want to lift an Atlas stone, that is a deficit deadlift and a front squat or a zercher squat or something like that. If you get that movement pattern down, you're probably going to be fine the first time you touch an Atlas stone. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if you want to be able to do a log, well, get used to overhead pressing. You'll need to get onto a log a couple of times to, to learn how to clean it. But, you know, it's not rocket science. And in the end, if, if, you have an athlete's mindset, you'll be able to adapt to whatever you need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this style of training is really well done. You know, in most commercial gyms, they have farmer's handles now. You'd be surprised how many commercial gyms have yokes in them now. And mm-hmm. when people talk functional training, you know, this, this is really what it is. So if gyms are tending towards that, then uh, we're doing pretty well. And, you yeah. know, some guys, they just they, they buy their own equipment. And mm-hmm. that's just what you have to do. You know, Kim Udrick from Greenland. He has nothing, and he made it to World's Strongest Man. Half of the stuff there he had never touched before. Right. Three quarters of the stuff there he had to train on himself. And for further evidence, I'd never touched a Hercules hold before, and uh, I came third in probably the strongest grip field that has ever existed uh, in London. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, 
that kind of leads us into the next question that I have, which was again, that athlete's mindset. What, again, you hadn't done some of these, uh, these movements before you haven't touched some of the, uh, the equipment. You've never really done that. What were you thinking going into the biggest stage in strawman? And what was that thought process of like, okay, it's time to, you know, strap in and just do it. Or was there, was there any sort of plan in terms of, uh, how you went into those, uh, events? Well, primarily the thought was how the hell did I get myself here? <laughs> that, that's how I, that's how I introduced myself to Colin Bryce. There you what, go. what are you thinking? Um, and in the heat, I was familiar with pretty much everything. You know, I hadn't carried an anvil before, but it sort of is what it is. And we had a familiarization period in what they call the boneyard, where they bring out all of the implements. You can have a, a bit of a crack at them, see what they're like. So I did that. And in the heat, again, I was familiar with all the equipment for the most part. And then in the finals, I had already overperformed. The, the pressure was pretty much off then. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, was it really to duck walk and do power stairs? And I made errors. And the biggest challenge for me was accepting that you're going to make errors on something that you've never done before. And that was a bit of a battle because if I had done all of those, those events two or three times before, mm -hmm. I believe I would have been on the podium. I would have been second or third because I was beating Maxime Boudreau, who won the power stairs. I was beating him through seven of nine stairs. And then I made a mistake that I had no idea what I was doing on the seventh step. And I couldn't get it past the eighth step. Mm -hmm. So I, that's, a, that's four points on that event that I lost. The truck pull, you know, I, I accelerated the truck really well, but I had no idea how to get it started. And I was only two seconds off of coming top five in that event. So maybe some points there. Anyway, I could go back and beat myself up for every one of those little mistakes. But all I have to do is just treat it as experience and just be happy that the experience I'm getting is an, at, a, at a competition of that level. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, and, and that's it. I mean, you're young. This is the first big stage that you've been on and it's just you know you're going back and you know you're going to be doing more right so that's that's the great way of looking at things <clears throat> well i i actually i think of it the exact opposite way oh, and okay. i think there's i think of it as there's every chance that i'm never going to be back right and if i'm if i'm never back and i'm so into my own head that i'm not enjoying the experience well i might as well have not done that at all in the first place yeah yeah no that's great i like that i like that a lot so going into these competitions, um, again, this is, I guess, UK, uh, the Giants Live was your sixth competition then, correct? <laughs> it would have been, yeah. Yeah. So going into the these competitions, just like that stage and that presence of you're up against the top in the world, what is, again, kind of just referring back to uh, the last question, what is your, the, the thought process going through your mind? Well, going to Giants Live was a big difference to going to Worlds, where at Worlds, I could, I could have come fifth or sixth in my group and hid behind everyone, and no one would have batted an eye. You know, I don't think anyone's giving, giving Kelvin DeRoyer a hard time for not making the Worlds Finals. Mm -hmm. When I turned up to Giants Live and everyone's picking me for the podium, and I now have not only to compete against these guys who are the top in the world, but I also have expectation to thrive against the top in the world. I find that to be a very different experience mentally than just turning up and being happy to do a deadlift beside Brian Shaw, for example. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think my my arousal state for Giants Live was much higher than at Worlds. You had the stadium environment. I also had the pressure of doing well. But I think it was probably more appropriate and tended towards positive performance a little bit more because at Worlds, I was just so happy to be there. And right. you know, I was taking it all in. And every time I did well on something, it's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm proving it to myself as much as I'm proving it to everyone who has no idea who I am because I have no idea how I'm going to stack up against Evan Singleton and something. I, I, mm-hmm. I have as, as good a clue as you do, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, London turned out to be proving to myself that I'm at that level, that I'm, I'm probably in the top five or six strongmen in the world at the moment. And I just have to walk in with that confidence. And I have to walk in knowing that Alexei Novikov and Martins Lysis and uh, Tom Stoltman very soon are going to look at me the same way I look at them. Right. Yeah. Must be uh, incredible, incredible, incredible feeling, but also scary at the same time. That's how I would feel. <laughs> That's incredible. In a way. Yeah. In a way. But I'm also not scared of any outcome. The thing that I'm most nervous about is whatever – I do is exploded a thousandfold in terms of impact, in terms of people who think I'm an awesome guy or people who think I'm a jerk or people who agree or disagree or a performance is good or bad. And I just don't want to particularly, I don't want people to have a negative opinion of me. Let me go off of, uh, you know, you mentioned the negativity that does definitely come with strongman. So, or just again, the explosion of character, I guess, you know, the, the exposure that you get from, having to live up to expectations and people will look at you as a jerk or a good guy or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, how do you, like, how are you going to deal with that? Have you given that much thought or is it just, you take it on the chin and it is what it is? Yeah. I've given it a fair amount of thought and um, I don't know. (laughs) I I hope (laughs) I handle it well, but uh, there's every chance that uh, I'll need some, some help from people at a certain stage. I think the, the benefit is there's nobody at the top who is anything but positive that I've experienced. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can go to someone like a, like a Tom Stoltman, uh, like a Luke Stoltman, like a Martins Lisa and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, this, and this. Or, How do you deal with that? And someone in the exact same position who I trust and who's a nice person can, can give me some guidance on that. Yeah, 100%. I think as long as you are, are able to be vulnerable to those people, you're going to get the help that you want. I know that group thought has helped me through my whole life whenever I've got something that's getting me down. If I talk to my people who are for me, I'm going to get good, strong advice and not just a pat on the back and say you're okay. You know? Yeah. They'll, they'll yeah. sort you out when you need sorting out, right? Um, you did mention uh, uh, something about, you know, giving it your all to strongman. Like you do have your businesses, you know, and you're also competing in, uh, in strongman. The next question is kind of, what is your opinion on that? If somebody is trying to get into strongman, you know, you said it, you don't really have to sacrifice your whole, uh, your whole life to get into it. Um, but what are those, you know, there are definitely people that are out there that no matter what it is, you know, basketball, boxing, fighting, whatever it is, they will give everything they have to that and just leave everything in one cookie jar, I guess you could say, or in one basket. Yeah. yeah. Someone who thinks that they give everything to strongman and that that takes them eight hours a day, I would question what exactly they're doing because 
when when people critique me for not giving it all to strongman, I've I've been a couple of times and, and I've asked, what what am I not doing that you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I I'm obviously doing enough to be at the top level. I'm obviously doing enough to progress faster than uh, according to uh, according to Colin Bryce, I'd progress faster than anyone next to uh, Prudzianowski. Mm-hmm. So what what more should I be doing to satisfy you? And I think the best the best explanation I can give, and by the way, people who do strongman as a full-time job because they financially, they can make that work, that kudos to you, more power to you if that's what you want to do. But I could make a million dollars a year from strongman. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me because I'll still have to fill my day doing stuff. I, I can't sit on the couch and play video games. It's just not me. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would draw the parallel to someone working at the grocery store for five hours a day would probably tell you how exhausted they are and how much work they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll basically leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. When it comes to, um, again, I want to talk a little bit about the, the training and the diet now, because uh, we've had a few questions of people that, you know, definitely want to hear about it in your average week, you know, how many times a week are you training at the moment? And then obviously with your, your deadlift um, competition coming up, what is kind of the, the outlook, obviously there's more structure and focus around your deadlifts, but at the same time, you were also preparing for giants and all these sort of things. So is it, um, you know, is it very intensive? Is it, you know, pulled back after a competition? Like how does, how do you kind of structure your training program at the moment? I've been working with laws. So laws does my coaching. He does my programming at the moment. Yeah. We had, he wanted me to take three days off after Giants. I took two days off and we basically kicked back into it uh, because I just don't have the time to mm-hmm. be able to have a big deload week. Thankfully, I, I recover very well. And I attribute that to uh, a lot to general fitness levels and uh, you know, being, uh, I consider to be a fairly healthy person in the strongman world. And uh, yeah, uh, there's definitely focus on the deadlift to some extent, but Again, how much focus can you really do on one lift? You, yeah. Especially with the deadlift, where you pull a heavy deadlift and you might not be able to pull a heavy deadlift for another uh, 10, 10 to 14 days, really. So yeah. there's a pretty big focus this year on being able to get through everything injury-free. And if right. I focus on the deadlift only, and then I go to the Shaw Classic the week after, and I'm trying to, to press a 200-kilo log and I didn't prepare for that, I'm probably fixing to get hurt. Mm-hmm. So keeping a level of preparedness across the board, that's, that's high enough, but you know, it's a pretty big challenge. I think the biggest thing with me is that in terms of my sporting age, I need to get as much experience as possible in terms of my strength level. I probably need to back off the number of competitions. So it's a bit of an interplay. I think this is the only year that I'll do the number of competitions that I'm doing, and then I'll be a little bit more selective. Uh, but yeah, there's some folks on the deadlift, but you, you still have to be generally gen, generally prepared across the board. Right. And at the moment, that basically fills out my entire week of training. Fair enough. Yeah. And then the other half of that is your uh, your diet. You know, so many so many videos on uh, on YouTube talking about you know the ten thousand calorie diet or the fifteen thousand or twenty thousand a day, like Robert Ober's. Where are you kind of at right now in terms of you know you don't have to give a number obviously, but um, in terms of the actual diet, is it, uh, is it centered around, you know, 
there's a few guys that do vertical diet. There's a few guys that do, you know, just eat whatever they can eat because they just have to get as many calories as possible. Is there any structure to your diet at the moment or it's just what it is? There's not a huge amount of structure. I sort of think that I need 300 grams of protein or so per day. Uh, I try and eat five times a day. I know I need about 6,000 calories. And if you break that all down, you can habitualize a lot of your meals. And, you know, I'm thankful to have a sponsor who gives me my meat. I'm thankful to have a sponsor who gives me prepared food. But yeah, as I'm in the car here, I've got my iced coffee and I've got my, my protein shake. And that's uh, lunch number two of three and it's 3.30. So I need to, I'm a bit behind on food. But I don't believe that unless you're six foot eight, super tall, I don't believe you need to eat crazy amounts. And that's why everyone asks me for a day of eating. And I'm just not going to do it because it's not interesting. Uh, yeah. I eat I eat what you eat, add 40% or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you, can, you can be a pretty normal person. I think I put so much value in, in a nervous system stimulation and recovery is so tied to being able to have your parasympathetic nervous, parasympathetic nervous system working well. And if you have so many rituals, whether it's recovery, nutrition, and you're so stressed about getting this meal at this time and having this prepared and doing this, and you're very neurotic like that, I think one, your, uh, your sympathetic nervous system will just be on overdrive all the time. Mm-hmm. And two, you're going to be really fallible when it comes to traveling to London and you don't have the same food and you don't have the same routine. Yeah. And that's, that's why I can fly into London on, on Friday afternoon, compete on Saturday, fly out on Sunday and not miss a beat with my training. Right. It's just, it, it's not really a big deal when you break it down to it's a six hour flight. My eating is different, but it's always different. My schedule is different, but it's always different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a, that's a big nod to me over the guys like a Brian Shaw who needs this, this, and this to be able to perform well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that uh, like we used to compete in bodybuilding competitions before uh, switching over into what we're doing now, but you know, there's so much of that habitual routine of, okay, 7am, 10am, 12pm, like all that. And you're absolutely right. It takes so much out of you and you do end up becoming that person that can just break at the snap of a finger because oh no, the routine's off and well, you get invited to a wedding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's all gone. You know? yeah, yeah. So there's so many things that can happen, but um, uh, it's, it's incredible to hear that, you know, from a strong man, Cause what are you weigh approximately what? 275, like 300 almost. No, I'm a bit more than that now. I'm um, about 325. 325. Yeah, you're eating about 6,000. Yeah. You're eating about 6,000 calories a day. Right. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, genetics are undervalued, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. And I think there's, there's two levels of genetics though, really. I think there's genetics of the body and your joints and your tendons and what can you take and what can you recover from? Mm-hmm. But then I think there's, there's genetics of the mind, which are much more important than genetics of the body. And it's, can you conceptualize being able to lift 500 kilos and like not, not in Evan Singleton. I think that I could be everyone at this, 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 and this, uh, because I don't think that he believes that. I think he just says that. Mm-hmm. And you actually have to truly believe that I can do this X, Y, and Z. And I believe I can be the, the strongest man in the world. I don't believe I could be the best marathon runner in the world. And I believe that would hold me back more than actually physically not being able to do it. 
Okay. Yeah, no, fair enough. That's, it's an interesting concept. Um, how much psychology plays a role into your training and just even, you know, competing as well. Um, so I kind of want to go a little bit more in depth with the mindset side of things is, you know, how do you personally get into that mindset or has it always kind of been that way? You just always, again, you put your mind to something, you'll do it and it's done. Or did you kind of have to develop that and slowly work your way into believing that you are capable? Uh, well, I think I've always had it really. Um, you know, I, I haven't always had ambition. I haven't always had uh, the same level of drive to do positive things. But for the most part, I think what I've said I'm going to do is what I do. And I've had really good supporting cast for a very long time who believes in me to the, ninth, to, to, to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And if I told them I'm going to do this, they just all believe me. And they say, I, I think you can. Mm-hmm. And my mom, my dad, you know, my whole family, they're my biggest fans. And if the people around you believe you can do something, that goes a long way in you believing it as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, 100%. That is, um, that is one of the biggest things, obviously, is just believing that you can do it and being able to do it, right? Um, to talk a little bit more just briefly about the genetic side of things, I mean, you, you played sports your, your whole life, and how big of a role did that play into kind of developing into uh, the straw man and, you know, the competition level that you're at? I think competition has helped me a lot. And when I look at every different sport I played, they all added something different. And physically they added something, mentally they added something. And I think they all played their role uh, in being able to get where, where I am with strongmen. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of strongmen who didn't play sport before. And I think you can see that. You can see a guy who's always been a strongman. And I think you could mostly see it in the discrepancy between their squat and their log press. Right. <laughs> why, do you, why do you say that? Because we don't have to squat as strongmen. A right. good strongman will have a good squat. But yeah. you'll see so many awesome log presses on Instagram. And I've done it so many times. You see a good log press. You, Holy crap. This guy must be something special. And he'll log press 400 pounds. And then you see his deadlift. His deadlift's like 600 pounds. Right. <laughs> his squat is like 500. <laughs> All right. You're just, you are literally just a big guy who wanted to be strong and do this sport. And yeah. there was an underappreciation of general preparedness. Uh, which I believe my base of general preparedness would be higher than any other professional stronger. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When it does come into, uh, you know, developing into the next six months or year as a strongman, what is kind of the plan going forward now? Like you do these, these last little uh, competitions for this year and then you take a time off or where do you kind of see yourself in the next year or so? Well, God, I, I haven't had really uh, mental space or energy to think about it because <laughs> I have the, the deadlift world championship in uh, Giants Live World Open in three and a half weeks. A week after that, then I travel Ireland for a week. Then I go to the Shaw Classic, which is seven days after the World Open. Two weeks after that is the um, Canada's Strongest Man. Then three weeks after that is the Arnold's UK, which hasn't been announced, but I'm invited to that. And then three weeks after that, hopefully, I get an invite to the Rogue Invitational. And if all goes well, then it's off-season until, I believe, March. 
or May. Might be May. Uh, when it's the Arnold's, the Arnold's in Ohio. March, yeah. So uh, that's yeah. busy. <laughs> that is let alone the clinic and everything else. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, yeah. with with the business as well, I mean, obviously it's nice to have, you know, the the strengths, uh, strength training team because I'm assuming most of it is just programming done online. Do you see a lot of people in person for that or that's what the clinic is for typically? Yeah, I, I, I don't see strength athletes one-on-one in person. Right. To be honest, I don't believe that they need that level of supervision. And if I did, I wouldn't see them. Right. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't take them on as online clients. Uh, so yeah, that's all online. Uh, and I think my biggest challenge over the next six months is being able to hire good people uh, mm-hmm. who I can rely on uh, and at the same time, not diluting what people get from me. Right. Uh, and the good thing is when you get to know someone and if, if you behave the way I do with my clients, um, they understand my intention is always to give them everything that I can and they understand what I'm doing. And just as I know their family and their pets and, and their hobbies, they know my family, my pets, my hobbies, and, and my travel schedule. So, so long as my attitude is always to take care of them, uh, then they always seem to want to take care of you in return. Absolutely. No, 100%. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, Walter, did you want to bring up your last point there before I ask the final question? I, I just wanted to know how it was turning down something. I mean, I, I, I was so... Happy, happy, impressed. When you turned it down, because you felt that you didn't do the lift properly, mm. I thought this is an honorable man. And, yeah. and I, I questioned, uh, that just happened? You didn't have to think about it? Did you have to spend some time and go, uh, the right thing to do would be? How did that hit you? Well, that, that one was a challenge. I'll tell the actual story. I didn't, I didn't see any issues with it. And I didn't really watch it back that many times, to be honest, because I had broke the 18 inch axle deadlift record mm. for 12 hours until Gabriel Pena beat me. So I watched that one more and I was more proud of that one. I thought that was really cool. And I heard nothing negative from anybody. No one came to me and said, I mean, no one in the community came and said, there's, there's an issue or whatever. Then I get a call from the ref the afternoon after that competition happened and he said you're going to get a call from the guy who organized the static monsters and uh you know there's a, there's a question about your log press and whatnot and i said okay and uh, i waited for that call and, and that guy ends up calling me and he he basically told me i don't know what to do because you know there's a video from the side and strongman's judge from the front and from the front it looked good to the judge from the side you can see it's still moving I don't want to take it away because that disempowers the ref. I, I, don't want, I don't want to leave it because people are going to have a field day about breaking a world record and blah, blah, blah. And that was a very short conversation that concluded with me saying, I really support what you're doing. I think you're doing a great thing for the community, particularly during COVID when that's all we really had to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I quickly offered just it, the easiest solution is for me to take this away myself. I'm happy to maintain the integrity of the sport and the competition without having you compromising what you're trying to do with your competitions. And for me, it's a, it, it's really a pretty easy decision uh, because I'm not going to hang my hat on a, a, a 200 kilo log press or a sack monsters world record or a giants live or a world's strongest man or nothing like that. I believe who you are is more important than what you do. 
and that's going to follow you for a lot longer than strong men. And, and that's sort of the attitude that I try to maintain throughout whatever I do. hundred yeah, percent. That's amazing. amazing. So our final question then we have today, we always like to ask our guests this take 30 seconds to a minute to kind of uh, think of an answer if you need to, but uh, basically what is one piece of advice? It can be fitness related, life related, anything in general. What is one piece of advice that you leave our listeners with today? That you need to strive to objectively improve yourself in some way, some measurable way that doesn't have to do with how you feel. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's all you need too. That's clear and concise answer. There you go. Awesome, man. So again, uh, thank you so much to uh, Mitchell for coming on. Again, Mitchell, um, you guys can all follow him on the links below. All of his uh, sponsors will be down there as well. Uh, Go check out his Instagram and all that fun stuff. Uh, Is there any last words that you want to say or anything you wanted to promote before we head out? Uh, no, I'll just give a quick shout out to my sponsor. So, uh, Cerebrus supports me a lot. If you use the code Hooper, they'll get you 10% off. Uh, it helps me, it helps you. Uh, Bolton Foods, if you're in Ontario, Bolton Foods supplies my meat. Athletic Culture is the gym I go to, and Elements Foods are the pre prepared meals that I use. Uh, otherwise, please follow along the journey. Uh, check, out, check out all the socials that will be linked below. And uh, yeah, I do my best to interact with you guys as much as possible. Uh, and in the end, I'm just I'm just a person like you. Uh, and uh, if, if you're a positive person, it, it adds to my life and hopefully I can add to yours as well. There you go. Well said. All right, guys. Thank, thank you, you so sir. much for listening. If you do have any questions, any comments, please leave them below and uh, stay safe. Stay breezy. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.